Hello, everybody. Welcome to All Villa No Filler. Please like and subscribe. Ooh, I am still bouncing off the walls after what has happened. It's currently getting me over COVID, which I am presently in possession of. In possession of COVID in the way that Douglas Weeze is in possession of the ball. You know, it just doesn't go away. Um, so, yeah, uh, I have no real symptoms. It just means I can't go and get the haircut I desperately need because my hair right now looks a little bit like a, a mushroom that you might see in uh, Super Mario World because if Super Mario jumped in it, it'd grow. Um, but anyway, I'm buzzing. I am buzzing. Is everybody else buzzing? Everyone else still feeling it? I've got up today and I'm just counting down the day, like constantly refreshing on Spotify and Apple. Please follow us on there. Looking at all the different podcasts to listen to, all the wider football podcasts to listen to, all the Villa podcast, all of it. I just want to hear what everyone's got to say, you know. And uh, it's remarkable, like to just hear Aston Villa being talked about in times of contention, Aston Villa being a team that is in focus. Um, and how can they not be? Fifteen home wins in a row. The Undertaker's streak was 21 and 0 at WrestleMania. He's looking over at that at Villa and going, they might, they might beat the streak. You know, you absolutely dominate, dominate in all areas of the pitch for 90 minutes, Manchester City, the team that just won the treble, that has maybe the greatest manager ever, that has the most resources of any football club that's ever existed, because it is run by a nation state. So it has the resources of a country, which is absurd that that's allowed, but whatever. We absolutely dominated them. And then three days later, we follow that up after beating Spurs, Warsaw, drawing at the, at the wonderfully informed Bournemouth, a fantastic team with a great manager in Iriola and lovely players like Solanke as well. It's heartwarming to see him come, coming so good. To get a late draw there, that suddenly looks a really great result. Hard fought right to the end. Three days after that, you beat Man City. And then three days later, you go and beat possibly the best team in England right now at this moment in time, at this very second in Arsenal. And look, it was exhausting, you know. Um, and Villa sort of went back into their shells a little bit after the first 10 minutes when we took the momentum of the City game right into the first 10 minutes of Arsenal. Got the goal exactly when we needed it, and what a blur. You know, I didn't appreciate it as much thinking about it now. When I think back on, you know, my uh, somewhat drunken, euphoric, instant reaction in the podcast after I did with George, how I didn't really talk about how great that goal was. It was unbelievable. Like, just growing so used to seeing Aston Villa playing with such a, a plum and, and, um, just so casually with the ball, as if like it's it's just easy, you know? We retain the ball, we don't panic, we don't belt it forward like I've witnessed us do for my whole life. We we keep it, we you know, Pal Torres holds on to it and he he doesn't just think, oh well, whatever, I'll just whack it forward and hope for the best. He picks out Ollie Watkins and Ollie Watkins holds it up and what lays it off to Douglas Ruiz, who fights off an Arsenal challenge and lays it off to a Kamara, who then finds it. And then, you know, it eventually works its way to Yuri Tielemans, who mind reading that he's currently got with Leon Bailey, because the two of them are working in such beautiful tandem right now. So then just 
put a perfect pass in blind to Bailey, and Bailey is in absolute form as his, of his life. You know, everything's going to be all right. Bailey's playing on the right. It, and then the cutback to McGinn, which was very similar to the goal McGinn scored against Everton, actually. Very, very similar. Amazing. Um, but then we had to go into a sort of Unai Emery classic performance, you know, sit back, be defensively stout, um, a bit more conservative, but we still almost scored on the break. And Arsenal, I think they'd, they'd be frustrated they didn't create more chances. But the fact of the matter is they didn't create that many chances. Odegaard had the two best chances. First one, amazing save from the best goalkeeper in the world. That's why I have the best keeper in the world. That's why we wouldn't be stupid enough to sell him, um, you know, unless there was a crazy, crazy bid for him and we needed the money. Um, and then uh, after that, uh, Odegaard coming in, you know, ball cut back to him and he, it's a poor finish from him. Um, they're the two big Arsenal chances I can think of. That's it. Amazing. Absolutely brilliant performance from Villa. Um, at the end of a, of, of a week and a half where they had to use up so much energy. Unai Emery is showing the same sort of um, humility and ability as every great elite manager has ever shown who truly has longevity in the game. Alex Ferguson in 2011-12 was different to the Alex Ferguson of 2008, the Ferguson of 2002, the Ferguson of 1995 and the Ferguson of 1986. Fergie is the greatest manager ever, right? Just on longevity. Um, but he always evolved. He always changed. And he had the humility to know my methods now might potentially be out of date. So I'm going to go and get an assistant who can come in and bring some fresh ideas. And I'm going to study and work out what is it this new guy Wenger's done at Arsenal? What is it that Mourinho's doing at, uh, at Chelsea? What is it that... Um, you know, in Europe, what, what, you know, how are teams winning the Champions League these days? And that's what made him so great. Well, not, not just that, but, you know, his ability to get the best at the absolute maximum out of players who others maybe thought couldn't reach that level, right? I don't think you'd look at a John O'Shea, a Nicky Butt, um, Darren Fletcher, uh, you, know, you know, players like that as necessary, players that you'd think could win Champions Leagues the Neville brothers even, they're all fantastically talented players. They were. And Gary Neville, you know, play, you know, they, they mock him a bit on on Sky, if, you know, talk about, you know, no one wants to be Gary Neville. He was a brilliant player. He was. Um, but to see kind of how Villa, see that see those Manchester United players and see the very best got out of them. Aston Villa right now, you are seeing players have the very, very best brought out of them. Players who I think a lot of people wouldn't have thought could reach the levels that they have reached. I always believed in John McGinn. I really, truly always believed in him. I always believed in what he could be. Leon Bailey is not a player I always had faith in because Bailey is a player who I've seen do 10 out of 10 performances. Manchester United last year, the 3-1, he was off the charts amazing in that game. And then followed it up with a series of 4 out of 10s, 5 out of 10s, a 6 out of 10, an 8 out of 10, and then back to a 2 out of 10. This season, it's just been a relentless stream of 8, 9, 10, 11. 11 against Man City. It's just amazing. It's amazing. And this is all on Unai Emery. It's on the players working hard themselves. 
but it's also on Uno Emery. It's on Pacquiao Stern, Austin McPhee, the coaching staff. It's it's amazing. And, you know, there's, there's a question now, isn't there, of Villa in the title race? Why should Villa fans, the Villa players, why shouldn't we believe, mate? I'm a believer, mate, as Amy Martinez said. Because, look, for years, Villa have not lived up to our full potential. Liverpool, many years ago, got um, Bill Shankly and uh, Bob Paisley. Managers who lifted them to another level. Managers who brought in an aura, moulded the club in you know their own vision, were genius coaches, right, and brought a legacy of success to that club. And now it passes on through the years because you're a club, they're a club that you think can do things like that. And Jurgen Klopp is here now. Again, one of the greatest managers ever. Manchester United had um, Matt Busby, Alex Ferguson. Again, a club that's moulded in their image. Aston Villa. When I think back on our on our you know in living memory, who is the manager who could be closest to that? It's Ron Saunders because that's when we had the most success. Was when he was there. He brought us from you know division the old Division Two up into Division One, winning the league. He left just before the fine, our finest hour of winning the European Cup. But he was a manager who really moulded Villa into his own image. He was larger than life, a force of personality, and a great, great coach. Aston Villa have not had that since the early 80s. We've had very, very good managers, but not a manager of that level. Unai Emery, at long, long last, looks like the man who could be that. 15 home wins in a row. I mean, you know, the light of love never goes out for Aston Villa, does it? You know, it's almost 30 years. Exact, it is 30 years exactly, November 1992, since I started truly supporting Aston Villa, my first ever game at Villa Park. was seeing us play Norwich, right? And we lost 3-2. Chris Sutton played, Rule Fox played for Norwich and Dalian Atkinson, the late great Dalian Atkinson, Dean Saunders, players like that for Villa. And that season, Villa finished second to Manchester United in the league. But since then, you know, there's been endless disappointments, endless frustrations. Moments where Villa have, you know, they've won a few things since then, but moments where Villa have threatened to push towards the top or push into the Champions League places and always, always fallen short. As if we don't quite believe it ourselves that we can do it. And that, you know, as I say, that kind of light of love, it never goes out. But there's moments when you, it's hard to just watch it. You know, think back to 2015, 16, when we were relegated and play, various players disgraced themselves. The the, the board itself was, was a total joke. Um, various chairmen that have come in over the years and, you know, not been what we needed. Right now, we have a board that clearly has true ambition. We have a commercial team and a, a footballing dynamic that clearly has ambition, clearly has a vision. Um, we have players who really, really care, players who are willing to listen and learn to an, an amazing coach, Nunai Emery, players who have made you proud to support Aston Villa. John McGinn, Tyra Mings, Ollie Watkins, you know, Ezri Concer, Emmy Martinez. The list just goes on. What these players have done in the, in the last few years of Villa 
is remarkable. You know, and in the case of McGinn and Tyron Mings, helped us get from the very some of our lowest lows up to currently our highest highs in decades. So when it comes to our Villa in a title race, after everything that we've sort of as a fan base not been able to enjoy over the years, let's fucking well enjoy it. Let's believe that we are in a title race. As Emmy Martinez says, I'm a believer, mate. Because we ain't here to just make up the numbers. Yeah, Man City have the players, the resources. Liverpool, Arsenal are an amazing team. You know, Tottenham are there. They're a great team as well. Newcastle, you know, not in injury crisis or whatever. United, But Aston Villa have won 15 games in a row at home. We have just absolutely dominated Man City. We've beaten Arsenal. Why not dare to believe? Otherwise, what are we here for? We ain't here to make up the numbers. This has got to be the start of something. And I truly believe it is the start of something. It's an amazing time to support Aston Villa. I'm really happy. Um, and thank you, Professor Unai, for this. All Villa, no filler on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Okay, so the next couple of games this week, uh, you know, we've got Zrinski, Mostar. We want to win that group because we don't want the two playoff games in the Conference League. Uh, I'm intrigued to know who he brings out. Douglas Ruiz and Luca Dean are two players who I think would not have gone to Mostar. But now that they're both suspended for um, the Brentford game, I'm wondering if they might. Uh particularly Dean, I, I kind of feel like I'd rather Douglas Ruiz took a rest, give him a week out. I think we have Mostar. I went to the Villa-Mostar game for, and Mostar were really disciplined in their defending, right? They were very, they soaked up the pressure really well, and they're a better team than I think, you know, people, you know, probably think. You know, they've, they've beaten Altmar 4-3 at home, and they'll fancy their chances against Villa, particularly if Villa turn up and aren't, you know, can't quite concentrate and aren't really at it. So we want to win this group. I still think if we put out a team that's not our strongest, which is almost certain going to happen, um, we have the ability to win it. It's a big chance for players like Zaniolo, right? Zaniolo, who I've argued on this channel, needs time, okay? He's a very, very gifted player. It's hard to adapt to the Premier League. He's not had a great recent run sometimes players get into that form and it's hard to get out all they need is a moment to look and an assist a goal a good pass here whatever and it can turn and Zaniolo if he plays should see this as an opportunity on um, Thursday night I mean for God's sake he's a man who scored a winner in a Conference League final before for Roma so he can he can do it um, Jon Duran a big chance for him as well I'd assume uh, and then Whoever else comes in, Dendonka, like I say, I think there's a few players I'd like to see left at home. Um, just avoid the flight and get ready for a really, really, really tough away day at Brentford. Brentford are a team who I have enormous respect for. Enormous respect. I love the way they've done things in recent years. Thomas Frank is a really talented coach and massively suits Brentford. Um, 
They're just they're just a, a, a credit to the Premier League, really. Um, but at home, not many teams beat them. You know, I think uh, in the last kind of, I think it's something like thirty games. The only losses I've had at home are twice to Arsenal, and once to Everton. So, so this season they have lost twice at home, as good as they are at home. They have lost twice, and that was to Everton and Arsenal. And I sort of looked at it and I thought, it, what is there anything about Brentford? You know, it, are there any sort of glaring weaknesses? And really, there aren't. To be honest, they're a very well organised team. They're very quick at just hitting you on the break. Um, they're very relentless. They, their understanding of where each other is on the pitch is very, very good. But they do. If if Bumo and Bumo is injured, that's a big loss. Big, big loss. Particularly with Ivan Tony being out as well. Um, that's 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 a tough loss for them. Uh, and I think if Boomer was playing, I'd be much more concerned, though I am still concerned about what they can do to Villa. But that said, I think Brentford, against kind of more possession-based teams, they sometimes play with a sort of back three hybrid five. So you can be, it's basically three forms of five. And I wonder against Villa if they'll show us the ultimate sign of respect and play like that. They did it against Arsenal. And in fairness in that game, Brentford didn't have a lot of chances. Arsenal were dominant. But Arsenal didn't have a lot of clear-cut chances themselves either. A couple of long-range shots they had to take because it was so hard to get through that back five. I mean, it's, you look at a five in defence and then three in midfield sat so tight to them. I mean, playing through that is really bloody hard. We found it hard. We found it hard playing against them last season. I went to that game and uh, they were largely dominant. They were largely the better team, except for the last 15 minutes when Villa really came into it. Buendia was really, really integral that day. Douglas Lee's got the, the goal from a Buendia assist. But it was so hard to play through them. But what I did notice with Arsenal was that Arsenal's two best chances came when... Bukaya Saka got the ball out on the right and cut in on his left foot and then whipped the ball into the back post. And in the first half it happened where it came over to, uh, I want to say Gabriel Jesus, headed it, save, and it comes back out to Leandro Trossard, who scores. And then with offside the way it is, he was offside by Atona. So, Arsenal didn't really create much after that. It was all long-range efforts. But then, in the second half, their goal came about. Saka again. Cuts in on his left foot. And if you look at the back line, there's five, there's five there and the three really tight to them. Playing through that intricately is very, very difficult. Liverpool managed it at Anfield because they're brilliant. Uh, a touch-off from Darwin Nunes to Mo Salah, who finishes it, running behind. But... It's hard to do that at Brentford's place. So with Arsenal, what they did, whipped it to the back post and there were three players there overloading at the back post. Kai Havertz gets the ball. Goal. So I just thought that was an interesting observation. That was how Arsenal did it. That's how they broke them down, was uh, overloading at the back post with balls from a winger who cuts inside uh, on his left and whips it into the to, uh, three players at the back. If Villa were to do something similar, you would probably have a Leon Bailey or a Moussa Diaby playing on the right, cutting on the left, whip ball back to the back. We scored a goal like that against uh, Bournemouth uh, with Ollie Watkins, a whip ball in from Moussa Diaby. 
So could Villa potentially have a, a situation like that where they whip it in? And who would be at the back post? I mean, if Jacob Ramsey plays, he's got height. Uh, Ollie Watkins could be back there. And then, I mean, we're not gifted with lots of really tall players, really, um, who would be further, far forward in a situation like that. But, uh, but yeah, um, maybe a fullback. I don't know, Dean or a Moreno could be there. I mean, Moreno scored from a ball in, didn't he, against Lahir Warsaw, so why not Brentford? But, um, but, yeah, that was how Arsenal managed to do it. Um, and then on top of that, Everton also managed to get a goal uh, against um, Brentford away when they won with a with ball in from a corner. Uh and uh, I think it was Tarkovsky scored at the back post. Now, Tarkovsky, again, is a big physical unit. But look, you can get crosses into the box. You can cause Brentford some problems, clearly. On top of that, West Ham. When they went there earlier this season, they lost 3-2, but they were 2-1 ahead for a while. Saeed Benrahma cuts in on his right foot, whips it into the back post. Mohamed Kudus is there, touches it onto the post, and Jared Bowen finishes it. So that's just a few examples of how teams have managed to score against Brentford uh, at their place. It's not easy to do, um, but Villa potentially could, that could be one way that Villa try and cause Brentford some problems. I'm, as I say, I'm, I'm intrigued to know if Brentford play with a back three or five. As I tell you what, that'd be a sign of real respect from them. I think they're a top team. They're going to be really, really difficult. Um, to beat away at theirs but you know like Emmy Martinez says I'm a believer mate I think we can just beat anyone this right now the form we're in the squad we've got talent we've got Mostar on Thursday gonna be probably harder than it sounds different experience again in a, in, you know, a unique setting uh, and then Brentford away. Um, so, yeah, big games coming up, but my goodness. Please like and subscribe. Uh, let me know what you think. And what else is there to say other than up the mighty villain.